0: Welcome back to another episode of the Supermercado Brothers video game music podcast. We are recording this live at MAGFest 2016. My name is Will Brueggemann. My name is Carl
1: Brueggemann, and we are joined today by...
2: My name is Stephen Kelly, not Brueggemann. I'm
3: Brian Kelly, and we are literally sitting on the hallway floor at MAGFest to record this. I think
1: you guys can probably tell based on the, the high amount of bleed that you're hearing here.
3: Yeah. yeah,
1: hopefully this isn't uh, too much for your ears to handle. But it's fun. Um, it's like a live podcast. Yeah, we're, we're
0: in the trenches here. We're actually we only have two microphones, so <laughs> yeah. I really wish p- this is a video
3: podcast so you yeah. could see each, what our each brother setup duo is sharing kind of, a
0: mic. It's kind of depressing. I think you would think less of us if you saw this situation. a little bit. But I mean, <laughs> this is this is so exciting for us because the four of us we've known each other for quite a while now. I mean, we yeah a couple years we were talking about that show. earlier. Yeah, we went on your old show train station at eight and probably like three yeah. or four times. Yeah, yeah, um, and. We've had you guys on our show before, and we love each other. We're all good video game, music, family, friends. Yeah. Um, but this is actually the first time that we've
1: gotten to meet each other in real life yeah. uh, here at Meg. Pretty nuts. So we wanted to record
0: a podcast together.
1: Yeah, just just to let you know what we guys have been up to, we just uh, got out of talking, had a wonderful conversation with Bear McCreary um, and... That dude is just the best. We all, all four of us actually went to a panel of his earlier today. It was just so insightful and really useful, especially for us, you know, as composers. Really, really good stuff. Today, guys, we're going to be talking about the music of Banjo-Kazooie. We're going to be playing tracks from the first two games, Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie.
0: Well, the reason we're doing this is because uh, Stephen and Brian are super huge fans of Insane Banjo-Kazooie. Insane fans. And we have already had sort of talked on the podcast that we were going to have them on to do a Banjo-Kazooie episode. So we thought, why not do it at MAGFest? Because something that's actually fitting is the composer of this wonderful music, Grant Kirkhope. He's actually a guest panelist. Uh, this year and so hopefully we're going to be talking to
3: grant a little bit later So that's going to be pretty exciting as well Exactly if we can just get him to sit down on this hallway floor with us for just a couple minutes <laughs> we'll set. Yeah.
1: No, I think that'll just take place wave, somewhere else wave him over. Yeah,
3: exactly just put up a sign grant
1: well, let's all get right. into it. So what you guys heard playing in, that was the game selection from Banjo-Kazooie. And obviously all the music today is composed by the wonderful Grant Kirkhope. Let's start things off with uh, a pick. It was I can't remember if it was Brian or Steven suggested Spiral Mountain, right?
3: Yeah, I think I sent that one in. And this is like the first kind of level theme that will play for the gameplays in the tutorial area. And I think it does a pretty good job of setting the tone for the music in general.
1: Let's take a listen to Spiral Mountain from Banjo-Kazooie. You guys are listening to Spiral Mountain from Banjo-Kazooie for the N64, composed by Grant Kirkhope.
0: You're actually also listening to a medley of Zelda and Final Fantasy music <laughs> being played all throughout MAGFest by
2: guitarist <laughs> <Magfest laughs> way. Yeah,
0: ocarina yeah. players, it's insane.
1: Exactly. Can you guys hear that? Let's just pause for a second. Listen to that ambience. This is so—it's so awesome being here this week. And if anyone has never
2: been to Make you should definitely come next year. It's a blast. We, we will—we will talk about the banjo kazooie music too. I promise. But it really fits this whole vibe because we, Brian and I were just talking as we were walking over to this hallway, <laughs> where we're recording. Um, everyone is having a, a good time here. Everyone is having fun. Everyone is smiling. Yeah. It's—it's it's just. It's it's a, yeah,
0: it's a great atmosphere. It's This is so much fun. This is our second time at MAGFest.
1: So enough about
3: MAGFest, uh, yeah. we'll start
1: with you, Brian. Why did you pick this track, and what do you think is is fun about this track, Spiral Mountain?
3: Uh, I think I picked it partially because, like I said, it's kind of the introduction piece. It's like if you're playing Mario, you're going to play you know the first level. I find in general, like first levels in games, the composers are kind of putting their all into it and kind of trying to welcome you to the yeah, world. Yeah,
1: I've always noticed that. A lot of soundtracks are very top-heavy
3: that way, right? The first yeah. few tracks are the best. And Magic Zoo, I think, like keeps it up throughout, but I think if you, I was just to point to a track of like, what is a Banjo-Kazooie song? I would point to Spiral Mountain, because like the lead is a banjo in it. The melody is a banjo for the most part. It's passed off to other instruments later. But it just like, it, it is the sound of that game. It's quirky, it's fun, it's open. Do you think it was one of the first things he wrote for the game? I don't know. I don't know his... Do you know, like, what his style would be at that? Or, like, the order in which you writes things? To me, it sounds no kind of like a demo piece for it, but... Sure. I mean, I know the production of this
0: game. Uh, originally, like, I think the engine was created for this game called Dream that was yes. ultimately a- abandoned. And um, I think they used the engine for it as sort of the building blocks of Banjo-Kazooie. And I know that uh, he was involved in the creation of that. So, yeah, I have no idea. Something that I love about the music to this game is that it's very campy in Funny, like the yeah. there's different ways we've talked before on the podcast about video game humor and the role of the composer and the role of music right. as far as sort of scoring that emotion. But what I find interesting is Grant Kirkhope's approach. I think is. Um, A one that I really admire because it's it's very kind of tongue in cheek. I mean, the music to this game it's very self aware. The music itself, you know, separate from the game, is goofy and funny.
1: One thing I think is cool about the music is even when you're not seeing the visuals, I'm seeing all these colors. It's so colorful. Yeah, like I'm just like seeing reds and blues and yellows and this rainbow of uh, musical color. I guess. Well, I think also
0: he's able to evoke specific instrument choices, which is, I mean, again, it's due to the time, I mean, the Nintendo 64 was able to kind of evoke, you know, marimba,
3: xylophone, tuba, all these kind of quirky instrument sounds. Yeah, I think going back to your point, Will, about him trying to kind of match the campiness, I think that was important for the music to do something that wasn't Mario, because Banjo Kazooie was at a time where it needed to set itself apart from Mario. It was another platformer from Nintendo on the N 64. So I think it was kind of their way to say, you know, this game knows that it's a platformer in a way that Mario it doesn't. It's self-aware, and the music was as well. So I yeah, think that I think amazing. the
1: character, the personality of the game is definitely stands on its own for Mario. It's like, if you're a fan of Mario, you, you probably will enjoy playing the game. Uh, it feels like a classic Nintendo game. But there is something, it's almost like, I guess, more comedic, more silly. Uh, it definitely has its own personality. And what's weird is how, I don't know if anyone who worked on the game would have realized how big... It would it would have become as far as like it's just well loved like
0: almost just maybe
1: behind Mario sixty four. Well then maybe it's a good time
0: uh, to sort of talk about ukulele, which I mean. For those of you that don't know It's this new uh, crowdfunded game That's being developed as sort of a spiritual successor To Banjo-Kazooie And both Grant Kirkhope and David Wise Are composing music for it We've actually played a couple tracks from it In previous show and tell Really cool stuff Um, But yeah, hopefully we'll get a chance to maybe hear a little bit And talk a little bit to Grant Kirkhope later About his involvement with that project as well Because it really does have
1: this kind of lineage To the music of Banjo-Kazooie Absolutely Let's see what we got next on the playlist. Oh, this is a cool track. The next track we're going to play is Gruntilda's Lair. This is one of my favorites from Banjo-Kazooie. Let's take a listen. You guys are listening to gruntilda's lair this is from banjo kazooie again by uh grant Kirkhope. let's start with you steven you've been oddly quiet so far
2: uh- I, i've been oddly quiet because i feel like i'm listening to a podcast <laughs> i'm so used to hearing all of you guys on podcast you, know, you don't yell at podcasts while you listen to them oh that's actually a good point i do sometimes but i do have something to say about this song which is the fact that it's slow plotting goofy pace is just perfect for that setting like a yeah. lot of the music in this game is really um, is really fast paced and really kind of frenetic. Like you listen to Freezy's Peak or something, or Gobi's Valley. It's all over the place, but this one is very measured because you're just goofing around and trying to find out what level to play next. Yeah, yeah
3: that's funny, because that's actually something I was thinking about when I was listening to the Banjo-Tooie soundtrack in prep for this, because we're doing sure. both games today. Yeah. I realized the pace was a lot slower for almost all of the songs, because if you yeah. play the games, the areas in Banjo-Tooie are a lot bigger, and they're more like the overworld, Grunty's Lair and Banjo-Kazooie, so you're doing a lot more exploring and a lot less actively just running from thing to thing. So like- Would you
1: say that uh, as far as like the games themselves, is Banjo-One usually like critically considered better than Tooie? Or- uh,
3: I think Banjo-One was considered Considered like tighter and more focused, but Major Tui got like way more um, involved and mm-hmm. way opened it up. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Kind like the difference between Mario Three. And I've played a bit of Tui, War. but I've played way more of the first one. Than yeah, the second Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: let's see what we got next on the playlist here. Oh my gosh, yeah, this is this is an all-star. This might be Will and my favorite track from the first game. Yep. This is Treasure Trove Cove. Oh yeah. Here's the jam, folks.
3: Steel drums.
1: That is just the jam. You just can't be that. That is uh, Treasure Trove Cove, composed by the legend himself, Grant Kirkhope. When those drums come in, it's just a win for everybody.
0: That is definitely a favorite of ours on this podcast. We've we played that track quite a few times, um, just because it's so darn good. I mean, I think the four of us were sort of remarking that this is probably the best melody in the game. Um, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. I think it's so catchy. And to me, like when I think of Grant Kirkhope, this is the first piece of music that comes to my head. It sort of had all of his trademarks.
2: And it, I think one of the beauties of this song is the repetition. Of the notes. It yeah. would just go... Bum, ba-dum, ba-dum, bum, ba-dum, ba-dum. But bum, every ba-dum, time ba-dum. you're anticipating mm-hmm. it, it just gets better and better.
1: It's so colorful and fun. And uh, this whole soundtrack is very child-friendly, and the game is very child-friendly, yeah. too. But it's not at the expense of a non-child. You know, like... <laughs> right. Like <laughs> All when of I... us
2: non-children. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the best way that I would describe you guys, is you're a bunch non- of non-children. Children. <laughs> no. You know, Something. I mean we yeah, listened, I listen to it, and it's just I'm able to enjoy it for probably reasons that a, a child wouldn't enjoy yeah. it like i'm I am listening to the kind of what you said the call and response, the orchestration, mm-hmm. the different instrument groups. Uh, I just think it is a wonderfully goofy but uh, fun melody that is an earworm. It just gets yeah. in your
3: head and it'll stay there for weeks. And like, it's something I appreciate about the music is it's like really campy in terms of genre. Like when he does desert music, he does it in a very, you know, campy sort of way. When he does tropical music, of course he brings out the tropical drum or the steel drums. I even call them tropical drums because that's how, the tropical drums, how of yeah, commonly they're used for that. But he does it in a way that I find endearing instead of annoying while like a lot of modern Mario games like New Super Mario Bros and stuff do it and I just don't even find it endearing. So like, he has an ability to use those stereotypes well instead of using them in a way that feels rote.
0: I think that That's a really good point. I think part of it is that level of self-awareness. You get the impression that this guy knows what he's sending up. Um, And I I do think maybe Mario doesn't have that. I think Mario has the potential to sort of rise to another level. You know, when it's great because since it's earnestly pursuing something, but Mm -hmm. it's also, I think, a bigger risk because if it ends up kind of being a blasé piece of music, it doesn't have, you know, it's not saying, it's not really kind of saying that it's sending something up or it's not really poking fun of something or being self-aware. Exactly,
3: comedy can be kind of a scapegoat sometimes, but he uses it really well here, so. It's also
1: interesting to me, like, starting with this score, uh, there's so many other Grant Kirkhope soundtracks where it almost feels like he's going back to the banjo style. Like right. Grabbed by the Ghoulies is an example where it's like he's just Absolutely. doing the banjo thing because <laughs> A, it was successful. A lot of people loved it. B, yeah. he probably had a really good time writing that kind of music. So yeah. the banjo style is almost like Grant's version of like sonic music for me. Like yeah. if I'm not yeah. trying and just sit down and jam at a keyboard, it's sonic. Right. And I feel like that that's what I would feel like for Grant.
3: Yeah, and it takes a while to realize he has other styles. Like when Viva yeah. Vignana and stuff started coming out, you realize, oh, that's not all he does. That's really interesting.
2: And he's also a person who's really receptive to fans, and they encourage him to do that so much, I think he kind of yeah. enjoys that aspect.
3: I think you're totally
1: right. Yeah. Let's see what we got next here. This was another, I believe, a track that one of you suggested. I, uh-huh. I don't remember anymore because you both suggested tracks. Uh, <laughs> Bubble Gloop Swamp. Yeah,
2: Steven, Steve. was Steven. My pick. That was my pick.
1: A little context before we play this track of why you suggested this. Frog Percussion. Alright. That's enough said, folks. Here we go. Bubble Gloop Swamp. <laughs> that is so good that's kind of a Danny, Danny Elfman part right there you guys are listening to bubble gloop swamp featuring the instrumentation that i feel like he uses in so many tracks you have xylophone tuba like i would say about 70% of the tracks in these, this at least the first game has the oompa 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 pa tuba style yeah.
3: He kind of has, like, a base set of instruments that he'll then add color to. Like, in this case, it's like he yeah, adds frogs in as a, uh, a background line, and another one As one line. does from time to time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, all the well, masters. I think what's
0: interesting is I think he's trying to, in a way, send up, like, cartoon music and yeah. kind of the quirkiness of ensembles there. But his own personal influences kind of create something a little bit new. It actually—and it's so fitting because it, um, it actually reminds me a little bit more of, like— Danny Elfman's language, but when you think about it, you know Danny Elfman wrote one of the greatest cartoon themes of all time in The Simpsons, which uses kind of that kind of when you think of uh, The Simpsons harmonically, but also in terms of like there is a lot of that crazy xylophone stuff going on. You do have that clarity of like the woodwinds and everything. It's kind of that orchestral silliness that feels like it's within the tradition of cartoon music but has those certain types of borrowed chords and some of those modulations that feel a little bit more film musicy, and that's sort of Grant Kirkhope's style, I would say.
1: I would say Danny Elfman is the easiest person to link to for Grant Kirkhope's style. Like, if you had to find one other composer that is reminiscent and maybe influential, for me it would be it would definitely be Danny Elfman.
3: Yeah, interestingly, it wouldn't be David Wise, who's actually extremely different, even though they work yeah. on a lot of the same projects. Very well, interesting. I, I
2: think it's that same cartooniness that works so well for the hardware limitations, because there was a pretty severe MIDI limitation on the N sixty four, and you know they were able to pull out some really good soundtracks like Perfect Dark and um, GoldenEye, but it just fits Banjo-Kazooie like a glove. It's not even a limitation. You want those blah, blah, This is effects. the definitive
1: version of yeah. this yeah. music. Yeah. No, that's Absolutely. a great point. You know, part of the struggle with the N64 is that... Uh, you know, it's like really was kind of behind the times, especially coming from the PS1. Yeah. Such a small amount of space dedicated to samples. But in here, you're right, it feels like a strength because you want it to be kind of silly and, simple. and just can't simple. Yeah, simplicity is the name of the game for sure. Well, we're going to move on to a wonderful track. Let's take a listen to, how would you guys pronounce this? Freezy Z? Freezy Z Peak. Freezy Z Peak from Banjo-Kazooie. guys are listening to the sounds of magfest as well <laughs> as a little bit of freezy z peak maybe just a little mm-hmm. luckily we cut our mics while we play the music so at the very yeah. least you guys are hearing hear the actual music. banjo we music won't, but and you then will. some really noisy hallway sounds my foot is falling asleep just thought I'd let
0: and you moving guys know on to the next track <laughs> I mean we're, we're sitting on the can you can you all appreciate this? we're sitting Dedication. cross-legged in the middle of a hallway in yes. a hotel like, Luckily this is, my
3: back is to the crowd So I don't know This the is one of my getting. lowest points
1: <laughs> Let me be clear let me, let me give a little context The reason why we're doing this here Is because we have nowhere else to do it No um, We're both staying at We're all evicted out of our homes <laughs> Pretty <laughs> we, much Folks we have nowhere to go So that being said Our Patreon No I'm just kidding um, So here's the thing All four of us are staying at Outside hotels this yeah. weekend We're not staying at The Gaylord National Hotel So no. we can't really do it in our room. We can't just run up to our room
3: and do it. So I that's why we're doing it
2: here. I guess we could have asked one of our friends if we could use their room, but this is more fun.
3: <laughs> yes, this is an experience to remember. We're creating memories here today. I think
2: we'll always
1: remember this podcast yes. for years to come. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Gobi's Valley. Let's take a listen. <laughs> guys are listening to Gobi's Valley and we kind of gave the shaft to freeze easy peak <laughs> uh, Brian what do you like about freeze easy peak
3: Well, obviously, it's just like going full on Christmas because if you can't tell by the name, it takes place in like a snowy climate. Uh, So Grant Kirkhope does love to play that up. Uh, But I think it's just like the winter wonderland style to it. Like you come out into this place and you start in like a kind of a narrow ravine. Then it opens up and you see this giant snowman in front of you, and you can like run up and down his scarf, and it's a lot of like active movement and leaping around these mountains. And so the music is so like fun and soaring with it that it kind of feels like it was almost not an orchestral piece from in this track, but it was a more soaring track well, that he does at the other side. What's interesting
0: is I'm going to get a little technical, musical specific about it. Please don't. Um, I couldn't
3: hear it well enough to do that right now, but (laughs) I want to hear this.
0: But there's a certain uh, reoccurring motif throughout all these games, yeah. and I think he's sort of sending up a little bit of a cliche, and it's that chromatic lower neighbor tone ornamentation. um, And what's interesting about Freeze Easy Peak is it actually starts with it as sort of a string texture. It gets you excited with the basic alternator. I'm thinking of a lot of things. But like there's all kinds of stuff where he's doing that. And what's interesting is there's a track in Ukulele that he did which is very much just kind of like almost like I had to pinch myself, wait, is this from Banjo-Kazooie? Right. And I think one of the most defining factors, in addition to the instrumentation, it's the use of that chromatic lower neighbor tone thing, right. which is something cool because you can't really copyright that. That's not a specific cliche no. to Banjo-Kazooie, right. uh, but that's something that's going to make that new game sort of feel like it's within the bloodline of the series. So really I never
1: point. actually got to Gobi's Valley when I played yes. this game. So speaking of Goby's Valley... What really is Gobi's Valley? What
2: is happening in the game, and how does okay. the music match that? Go for it, Stephen. Okay, so the music you're hearing right now is about as extreme as you can get for the Egyptian, Middle Eastern vibe. Um, it's yeah. it's a cliche that goes so far it almost becomes obnoxious, but yeah. then turns right around and becomes endearing. It's just it's pyramids and yeah. it's you know the pharaoh images and it's quicksand, all that stuff. Yeah, one reason
3: I found this track was I liked it is it's a little bit more, um devious than the other music, like the, the melody, and it might be because it's using those modes, and or the scales that are more for that Middle Eastern sound, but it's less just outright happy and it's got There's a little more of this deviousness. There's not a lot
1: of tracks in the game that feature the harmonic minor scale. Right. There's only a couple, I think, so that's that's yes. a factor. Exactly, sure. so
3: I think it gives it a different sound, so it kind of stood out while I really like, you know, all of them, you know, they're all really happy and Yeah, most and of them are in major key. This one took a yeah. little bit different, yeah, a little bit different to actually it was at harmonic minor. Well, now we're going to move on to
1: one of my favorites, and I think one of Grant's favorites too. This is Mad Monster Mansion. Here we go. (laughs)
4: The sun is shining.
1: I am feeling very spooked out right now. This is Mad Monster Mansion from Banjo-Kazooie, composed by Grant Kirkhope. Guys, you had a funny anecdote about... uh Grant actually doing the voice work.
3: Yeah, he's a really big fan of this level because there's a certain character in the game that he actually provided the voice for, so it, it thanks you for, for
2: completing its task, and Grant got to get his voice in the game. I think he also did a couple other voices. Like Wasn't he, did, he mumbo? He did a lot of things. He did some of the mumbo voices, at least in Banjo-Tooie, probably for the original as well. All the rare guys had their voices run through the little <laughs> thing, so they could be the characters. Right. But yeah, speaking of
3: devious music, this, mu- uh, this song picks that up again and, t- and cranks it to 11. Um, uh, it goes when he is searching for like what stereotype should I do this time? He obviously chose B horror movie mm-hmm. and just like went went all in on it.
1: Absolutely, he totally nailed it. Yeah, you know it's 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 cool when those moments in the soundtrack can feel like they're actually coming from a different place because for the most yeah. part it just feels like this very uh, kind of original sound that you that's not really anything specifically owed to. But then something like this comes around and it's like okay, I know exactly what's going on. Makes total sense. Hey guys, I'm
0: going to interrupt for a second with a, like a live MagFest update. Okay. Carlos just tweeted at us and said that he ran into Eric from Kirby's Dream Band, in that they're playing a show tomorrow night as their sideband, Vic Viper. So I definitely want to go to that because. Absolutely. Awesome to see Eric again. If you guys. So he was the guy. Um, last time we were at MagFest, yeah. we did that Name That Tune right. um, game. And. <laughs> Most people, you know, they were they were doing okay But kind of easy questions and then, He slayed And then Eric came along He knew the most, you know, obscure, intricate stuff And was <laughs> getting it, you know, no time at all He couldn't and, be more excited And then we found out about Kirby's Dream Band Which was this amazing Yeah, uh, I've heard of it
1: Yeah, yeah we'll band. definitely check that out Yeah, for sure Uh
0: Fantastic. Cool
1: Well, we got one more track from the first game uh, Let's Alrighty. end things with Hey, it's this week's Track of the week it's click clock wood. Now this is the spring version. Is this <laughs> the version that you guys wanted to play?
2: I think the spring version is sort of your standard version. The others do riffs on it, but that's I that's what is my I thought. Favorite.
1: Good. I'm glad I picked the right version. Let's take Absolutely. a listen to the spring version of click clock wood. You guys are listening to this week's track of the week. Super catchy. This is Click Clock Wood from Banjo-Kazooie. I love the harmonized woodwinds. Brian was asking when we are playing this, what genre would you call this? It's kind of tricky. I said Dixieland. Will said he hears some bluegrass. In general, some Americana vibes in this. Well,
0: I just think it sounds like novelty music of like yeah. the 1910s, 1920s. Almost like
1: carnival music.
0: Yeah, I mean, it has that blues influence in it, and it just feels kind of old-fashioned. But actually, I don't know, a lot of the music to Banjo-Kazooie, to me, really feels like it's that early American pre-jazz
1: period, I guess.
0: Yeah,
3: that's true.
1: Steven, I think you were the one uh, kind of voting for this to be
2: track of the week. What do you like about this track? Um, Beyond a melody that is maybe the catchiest, Grand Kirkup was ever composed. It's a, a pretty interesting and advanced technique they used where this whole level is based is based on the, you know, four seasons, right? And so this giant tree and each version of the level has its own, um, like, song based on the season. So you got your wintery one with, like, kind of the winter bells in the background and the lazy summer. You have bees singing along. It was one of those things that you, you got the impression that the composer and the, like, actual level designers were having a lot of conversations together.
1: Yeah. I think they probably were. You know, this kind of thing is so fun to have, like, a winter version, a spring version, a summer version. Wouldn't it have been great if Kochi Kondo would have been able to do that in a Mario game on the system? If, like, Mario 64 had, like, winter versions? Well, I
0: think that's a good idea. That would be, like, a cool idea right. conceptually for the game where you have, like, the same level and different times of the season. Yeah. Um, but I, I really like, Stephen, what you were talking about uh, kind of having the environmental sounds being parts of the music track, yeah, I and mean, that's a very rare thing in, m- in my head, and I don't mean like rare, like it doesn't I was about happen. To say, a lot. It's also a rare I mean, thing, like rareware. Yeah, yeah, because exactly. it, to me, the I mean, I always think of uh, David Wise, you know, like in Donkey Kong Country, yeah. using the like monkey sound. <laughs> Yep. And then I also think of, you know, a lot of the ambient stuff in Donkey Kong Country 2. Maybe he will use the sounds of, like, the metal and yeah, the mines and yeah. the sounds of, like, chirping
1: birds or whatever yeah. to become part
0: of Literally the Literally integrating
3: it into the environment. That's a really good that's, point.
1: That's so great. Yeah, you know, good, good pick for Track of the Week. That, that's, like... It just sums up everything that's fun about Banjo-Kazooie. So with that, let's move on to the second game. All Uh, right. We are going to play a track called Grunty Industries. I had not been familiar with
3: this track. So uh, which one of you suggested this? I think I did. Um, Grunty Industries, again, I think it's slower paced than a lot of the Banjo-Kazooie tracks. It's actually one of the final stages in this game. Um, But I liked it because I thought it really harkened back to... It was one of the melodies that was more similar to Banjo Kazooie that were in Banjo Tooie. Sure. And it really reminded me of like Rusty Bucket Bay or some of the more kind of mechanical levels from the original. So I thought it was just a good Grant melody.
1: Cool. Let's take a listen to Grunty Industries. You guys are listening to Grunty Industries. It's a very, I guess if I were to describe this piece, it's very grunty. <laughs> Musically, I that's... would describe
2: it as industries, but I agree with you. Well, I think grungy and grunty could be two perfectly fine words to describe this song. Well, and I, w- I would describe it as Granty,
3: Kirkopian, oh, if you see, will. See, that's the best yet. I, I don't actually even know won't. if any more
2: can be said on this.
3: Thank you, thank you. Speaking of Grant. <laughs>
1: I think now's a good time to cut away. Let's talk with Grant Kirkhope for a little bit. Oh yeah, I think I see him. Yeah, Grant, come here, sit down.
5: <laughs> so yeah, first of all, how has your makefest been this weekend? It's been very hectic, I've got to say. Like, that, that I did my QA this morning, and I really thought like, you know, I don't know, twenty people might show up, and there was hundreds of people there. Like, it was absolutely packed. I was honestly, I was, at, I was in shock really. I did, and I hadn't prepared anything to say. I thought I'll just kind of waffle through like I do normally, and I just, I couldn't believe it. It was. I just don't have to say, it, it was there were certain people I was just shocked by it. I, it just. Like who wants to talk to me? Like I'm the, you know, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But that many people are are so moved by your music. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really it's really nice to hear, but I just I find it amazing. it's incredible, yeah.
1: Well like I said, we recorded uh, earlier today a banjo episode right. and uh your signature tritone sequence move. Right. I'm so curious about the origin of that. If you have any thoughts of where that came from for you, was it anywhere outside of video game music? Did it crop up in some of your writing before
5: banjo at all? Well I didn't really write before banjo, I just wrote Metal Songs right, so <laughs> In the, in the UK, there's a cartoon called Mister Ben, right? You probably saw it in the US, right? It's Mister Ben. It's a, it's a guy who used to, um, used to, it was a cartoon. He went to his it was like a you know a two D thing, and he used to uh, go to his um, local tailor, and he used to, every in every episode he used to go into the changing room, put and try on a different set of clothes, and that way he'd magically become that like a king or an astronaut, and he would try the clothes and right. And the transformation music used to be. <laughs> like C major, F sharp major, you know, sure, right. in, in triads, yeah. and, I, and that just always stuck with me for some reason. It was a really cute little thing. It's a very to banjo. I don't know if that influ- It was certainly in my mind.
6: Yeah, maybe and subtle.
5: Yeah, but I remember that little. Arpe- used to do that little arpeggio every time we changed. The magic right. thing, the magic change. So Mr. Bennett was, I suppose, maybe. But, yes, yeah, so I got it from that's there. That's so cool. Yeah. Well,
0: and I, I noticed, I mean, you even use that well into, like, Viva Piñata. Oh, There's that one. Yeah,
4: absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, absolutely. it's so I effective. Like
1: it. And, you know, talking about uniqueness, we heard that word a lot at that panel. It's so unique. I feel like I don't hear that uh,
5: very much in music in general. I don't, some, mean, a lot of times people sort of say to me, oh, yeah, that, that's, your, that's your thing, Grant. You made it. I didn't make it. I, mean, I heard that a million times before yeah. in my youth you know yeah, I think you, you pick up things all over the place right yeah. and that little thing just stuck with me and, I, and that thing about the, the juxtaposition of the C and the F sharp being the furthest point apart was like Banji Zoo with the furthest point apart you know like in yeah. characters and so and it just made sense at the time but I don't really want to intellectualise about it because I'm not I just don't think like that I know <laughs> yeah. I'm not very clever I'm not that clever I'm like I don't think like that I
1: just kind of I think another way to word that is you just you're just so intuitive with the music that you don't need to
5: even describe it. Just let the music speak for itself. Well, I don't have that intuitive either. I just try my best, you know. um, But like you know that yeah that that kind of thing. Well, I
0: think one thing that is safe to say is that you're very funny. And uh, something that we talk a lot about on the podcast actually is humor in video games. And I think something that's really cool about a lot of the games that Rare made is that they're very funny. And you were talking today about sort of like the sense of humor that was sort of shared by all of the Rare employees. How do you? Think that kind of working environment seeped its way into the game and really into your work in
5: the music, like ribbing with each other, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like I, I think that that was mega important. Like I was with the banjo team most of the time for my career at Rare, and so we all became good friends, right? And so all that ribbing, like you say, just went on constantly, like the twenty-four hours a day, you know, you know the working day. We just spent time shouting at other Kodak people. If we all had nicknames, and we were all like insulting each other all right. the time. And it, it was that kind of British Monty Python-esque thing. And I think Banjo's got that kind of split level adult humor and kid humor at the same time in some in some respects a bit like The Simpsons or something like that sure and that was like it sounds like it was some kind of really intentional plan it, it, just the way it turned out it just know. sounds like such a fun place to work yeah I mean you know it, that, those days for me at Rare were completely magical like I couldn't I wait to get to work in the morning it was so it was so great yeah. I mean it's such a good laugh as friends together you know that I think that it, it just I think if you get people get on get on one together it just bleeds into your art whatever you're doing right whatever you, if you' all get on, if you do it together you all really love, love something it just gets into the whatever you make in a game yeah. or a book or whatever just know. that energy the momentum almost yeah, right? yeah, just I think, having fun I mean, just, yeah we I mean, just, I mean, just all agreed about things and just, it was funny to all of us you know, yeah. and I, you know I think it, it's, just, it's infectious in some respects you know so
1: I'm really curious about hearing uh, before that uh, David Wise kind of interviewed you and, right uh, you know starting off your career at Rare he was kind of your boss yeah and the transition from your relationship from that to being a colleague and being a friend now
5: how long was that transition for you um, like me and Dave had a bit of a rocky start at Rare I don't know why um, I, I bet, but we came, became great friends later but yeah, but um, I'd say the last few years at Rareby we became best of friends and we had a good laugh together and we, Dave's a really good lad I really like Dave a lot uh, and um, we, I said we ended up in a pub rock band together we were playing in pub he, was, he played keyboards and sax and his friend played guitar and I sang would you believe uh, used to wow a, I know, we used to have a great laugh playing on rock covers and you actually rapped quite a bit it was really weird wow. <laughs> I don't know about I Christ almighty. I, I can't, people get, I can't get asked to rap. I can't believe it. I'm the worst rapper in the world. Like, I, you can find anybody who can do it better than me. It's, a, it's peculiar I can get asked, but, you know, so it's quite funny. Well,
0: it, it's funny. I mean, when we also interviewed Dave um, on the podcast a few years ago, and right. he had nothing but good things to say about you. I mean, right. we, we asked him about his time sort of ha- having that overseeing role. Like a managerial role. role. And he yeah. sort of, what he echoed, I don't know if he was just being polite, but he said that, you know, everyone was so competent, you know, Grant totally knew what he was Doing, you didn't really need any
5: overseeing. Yeah, I, th- I think he's right. I think we were, we're all, all the guys that got hired at Red Do you were all pretty good? And mm-hmm. so, I mean, and also, you had your own project, really. You ever got you got assigned to your own team? So a lot of the time, you just that you were kind of the main the audio guy in that team, and that was it. Yeah. So um, I think Dave made some maybe overarching decisions about gear to buy or things like that. You know, because he was the head of music at the time. Um, but I think coming to actually working with teams, it was generally. You just did your own thing with the team you run on at the time, you know. Kind of. It
1: just seems like that is kind of rare. That lack of oversight, it really felt like you kind of had a lot of say over what actually went
5: in the game. Yeah, it was the, the team's decision. And also, teams are kept very separate. Like, you know, we had the old Manor farmhouse before we moved to the new place, which was outbuildings, like stables of the horses used to be. And then they turned, as, as the, the, the company got bigger, they converted the outbuildings into, into development blocks, right? And they were, they, were, they were all key coded, so you couldn't get into anybody's block except yours. So it was kept very separate. I didn't know what the killer team was doing. They didn't know what the Banjo team was doing. DK was, everything was separate, right?
1: Area 51
5: kind yeah, of feels like. Yeah, it's a bit like that. And like, as I say, every team wrote its own engine. We didn't share a rare engine. See, which seems a bit daft thing to do these days, but then everyone wrote their own stuff. So it was so the engines were very pertinent to the kind of game you would make. It wasn't a one-size-fits-all engine. It was a very game that uh, it fitted your game only. Um, so it was kept very separate but think about the audio guys because you tended to work on a lot of projects you could probably got to more saw so more than everybody else because you'd have to I'd have to go to the DK block or I'd have to go to the banjo block or especially
1: the... in that year or two when you were just yeah, jumping around from yeah. like every game
6: yeah. that I was working on yeah
5: so your key got recoded so you could go to other blocks but when I first got there it was all kept very separate you couldn't get into anywhere you know that was it
6: so uh, I love the story that you shared um, about uh, attending every orchestral rehearsal when yeah. you were in college yeah and I was wondering, when you finally got the opportunity uh, with Viva Pinata and then later scores to not only write your own music but record it with the orchestra, what is your experience like now listening to orchestra music? Either, like you know, in your car or when you get to actually attend a concert at the symphony, is, is has it has it changed at all? Or
5: no, I, I still I still find that like the best, I think. Like, I'm a bit straight. I think I have that kind of metal thing, and then, like, film scorey <laughs> music thing, you know, like, a bit like that. So I, I don't have a lot in the middle, really. And I think I really do, like... Sometimes I think nothing can touch you like, proper orchestral music. And I really feel that, I, you know, it, it, it gives you that all-over-body all shiver thing that you get, you know. And I think okay, that's... I still get it for metal bits and pieces, but I think, for me, the orchestral stuff, I still, still find that amazing. Like, yeah, I still do a lot of it, and... I do listen to the same stuff over and over again. I've got certain things I listen to all the time. I'm, you guys are like that. You're obsessive. Are you obsessive? Definitely, definitely. Like, yeah, I listened to the first three Harry Potter soundtracks a million times. Over, I'm not you, like
6: you know. that. I don't know what it is. I could listen to for 24
5: hours. Right. right. That, what a great piece of music. Isn't that awesome? That is a, What a great track that is.
6: Like, and it's like, if you would say, is it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, what, he was probably, what, 76 or seven <laughs> at that time? <laughs> okay. And it's, it's like, it's his cut. It's somehow he's able to do, like... Uh, we won't name names, but what a certain German
5: composer does right. all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, but yet, it has this like pure milk Anyways. No, it's. If you think like that's that? Pe- that I think book beats flight for me. is slightly out of the ordinary because John he doesn't normally write those very long those long lines. Right, right. And it's it's such a, to hear it. So and it's it matches the, the action so perfectly. You know and like those three scores for me are just breathtakingly See, fantastic we've,
0: we've talked so much about Buckbeats' Flight and that sort of exact thing about kind of the the clarity of the line like it's it's sort of without
5: flourish that melody well, there's, is there's the pure end is, of Force Awakens too sure Yeah, but like it's, the thing about Buckbeats' Flight it's really predictable right sure. but the way, for some reason the way he does it makes it I, I can't like another composer do that same old course he was like oh, I've heard it a million times before yeah. right but when John Williams does it there's something mm-hmm. magical. You, all you almost can't put your finger on I know, it. I that, that middle section is really flighty. All the flutes—it oh sounds really light and airy. It's just what a great piece of music. You can that is. feel
0: the restraint. Oh, I yeah. don't know
6: how it's possible, but it's like you can tell that it's a really sophisticated composer holding something at bay. Yeah, you know?
5: yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, well, got
0: to me. speaking on on this subject, um, have you ever, you know, thought about? dabbling your foot in the water of film music and
5: that, that is my absolute goal right i've mm-hmm. wanted i've wanted to be a movie composer for such a long time i just i i'm really trying really hard i'm just not getting anywhere right i'm trying mm-hmm. hard and i've got a really good agent i'm signed to golfing sports who are john williams agent oh, wow. so I'm, obviously he's in the clouds and i'm right at the bottom somewhere um, so you know the, the Michael the giacchino uh, Brian tyler they're all signed to golfing sports right so i'm really lucky to be on that agency um and I really want to have a crack at movies. That's my that's my number one goal in my life, right? Part of the reason I moved to LA was that reason. So I'd get closer to that, be closer. But I think that I've learned a lot about the networking side of it. Like, I think, you know, you get to a point where there's a, a million great composers way better than me, right? You know, and yeah, it's about the person that you know. It's not always about how good you are. It's about.
0: But I think I would also say it's fair to say there's a lot of uh, working composers that work very frequently that I think. You are much better than I mean. It, there's sort of the politics about it that seems a little unfair. Kind of, yeah. No, that's very, that's
5: very kind of you to say so. <laughs> um, but I think I think you know it is a it is a big networking thing, right? I think people right. tend to go back to the composer they've used over and over again, like Spielberg's using Williams because he knows him, right? He knows he's not going to argue with him. They're going to get get along amicably. You know, when you find when you're a director or a producer, and you find some some guy like that. You're going to go well, we. Use that guy before but he's great we, get, we have a good laugh with him we get on when they're well you know that's a really important thing they don't want to t- talk to some introvert composer who's a bit like you know like this doesn't right. want to talk to you and they won't do what you tell him to do you know I think that there's a lot to learn about that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and like I am slowly making some connections awesome. uh, I've made a decent connection just very recently It's good to hear so, you know so you don't know but it yeah. usually is things like in the most bizarre circumstance like living in LA there's a good chance that someone that you know is probably in the, in the industry somewhere because it's, it's that kind of town yeah. right and like having a kid I've got a kid in, uh, my son's thirty. my daughter's 10 like you know often my son's mate's dad he's probably got a friend who's, a, who's something in movies you know sure. and sure. if you meet them at some kind of party or you just kind of sat around the pool talking or you know it's way less pressure than being, being in some, some kind of industry situation where you kind of try to sell yourself in 10 seconds no yeah. one wants to hear that right yeah. if you're sat by the at someone's house chatting about the weather or I don't know your kids pissing you off or I don't know you. Know? But it's more, it get, people get to know you and then they're more willing to kind of go I'll help you
1: how interesting that. would that be if the second half of Grant Kirkhope's career is all of a sudden this film composer?
5: Yeah. That I, would hoping, be such I'm a great turn. I like a Joe Kramer kind of situation. I know, and, out yeah. of the blue, me and, it's Joe, like, yeah. oh, me and Joe, yeah, me and Joe become he, friends actually, yeah, he he uh, seems, yeah. He seems a great Joe guy. is such a nice guy, and he he's a he's a gay man, and we kind of got friends on Facebook. He said, Well you know, why don't we meet up?" So me and Joe like meet once a month at this restaurant, and it's just near where we live, and mm-hmm. uh, we, we just have a good a good chat about music and stuff. And so we kind of meet once a month now. And I, I mean, I, I first got to find out Joe the Jack Reacher got I absolutely Jack Reach oh, is absolutely fun. I couldn't believe that wasn't like, the best score ever. Like right. <laughs> those big those brass on ominous chords are just perfect for that movie. And the minute I saw it, I thought this guy's amazing. And I friended him on Facebook and he was a friend of me and then we got chatting a little bit and like his mission Impossible possible scores immense. He's like out of like this immense. World. Yeah. And Joe's a really great guy. He's a nice guy, he's a great composer, and I just I'm so pleased he's gonna. He's, he's really getting recognition now because he's great. You know, you were talking.
6: just doing this workshop in. He's doing this workshop in Canada right. this summer. I'm hoping to go,
5: right. to go to Yeah, yeah. So. I love Joe He's a good guy.
1: You know, I'm curious. You were talking about your kids uh, just a minute ago. Uh, if you brought your kids to Magfest
5: this weekend, what do you think they would spend their time doing here? I think Max is a real. My son's 13. Is a real gamer, right? Holly's like 10. She's not so much. She just plays Minecraft and things like that. But I think she'd probably wonder. Look at the clothes, probably more. But Max would be, would be everywhere. Like he's, he's obsessed. He's a, as I say, he's a League of Legends obsessed right now. Uh, but he gets obsessed with games. So that's probably my fault, um, but like he'd love it. I keep saying to him, he's a bit old. i take it to E3, i take it to MAGFest sometime, and I think he'll enjoy it. Yeah. How
6: would he respond to the the enormous crowds that are coming to your panel or the long lines to get your that.
5: autograph? I think it, I think sometimes I don't know what he thinks about it all. I think it was at school, and um, I think it, it clicked a little while ago. Like I, like I, some people sort of knew who I was a little bit, you know. And he, um, one of his friends, cousins, was talking about loving playing Donkey Kong sixty four. And his, his cousin said to him, actually, well, I'm best friends with a, with a, with a kid that dad wrote the DK rap. Max, <laughs> and Max was like, yeah, that's my dad, you know. <laughs> that was on the first time. He said it's yeah. funny that he didn't say he wrote the score, he yeah, just wrote the rap. Yeah, yeah, that's what he cared about. But it was quite cool that his friend's cousin loved it and went, what, you, you know, the son of the dad that wrote it, you know. Oh, wow. well, that was quite funny.
0: One more question, just with sort of uh, starting with Banjo-Kazooie and, I mean, with ukulele uh, around the corner. I'm really curious about, you know, you working with Dave Wise. I know that you guys are working independently on your own tracks. Did you guys have any sort of dialogue about the tone of the game, or is it just so intuitive at this point?
5: Well, we have talked. We've have talked we talk, yeah, plenty of times on Skype. I like chatting to Dave anyway, right? So um, we've talked on Skype and stuff. And, um, you know, about, I think I, I honestly don't know what Dave's doing in the game yet. Yeah? I know he's doing bits, and I just don't know what the bits are. So that's done, exciting in a way yeah no, because, because I think the ukulele guys they know that some bits are best for Dave some bits are best for me I'd say probably now I'm writing most of it no not most of it but more than Dave but not because for anything apart from the fact that we're writing the bits that suit us best yeah and, you know, and I said, we both said look this first game ukulele is pulling more at my street the next game is pulling more at your street and I'll do less and you'll do more. Mm-hmm. If, if, well, that it reminds it me of our collaboration. Well, I mean, yes. it is
0: it is trying to be, you know, the spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie, and you are the Banjo-Kazooie yes. composer. So, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. But okay. I just was so excited about the idea of, like, here are these two legendary composers getting to kind of unite in this
5: awesome situation. I uh, uh, could be more thrilled about it. No, but we're both cognizant of the the weight in our shoulders. Like, you know, I think it's not only because of the like the, the fan support has been so incredible and to, that kickstart to be 3.25 million dollars I mean thank god that was unbelievable and I think we're all at the, at the, you know from from being excited to being a little bit scared to go my god we've, yeah. we've got to produce something these guys you know, so we're really trying to you know, like I said before I could, I could easily autopilot ukulele because I'm used to that kind of music you know but I'm determined not to do that and to try and write something it's got all that stuff in it but some new stuff too you know and, and you make it you know make it Worthwhile, you know, for people to want to, to want to buy the soundtrack or whatever, you know, after the game comes out, you know.
0: I mean, I'm, I would be really thrilled about a project like Ukulele, something being crowdfunded, but for Viva Pinata, right. because I mean, I
5: think orchestral. that's some of my
0: favorite music that you've ever done. Um, for those, those two soundtracks are just absolutely masterful. That's my
5: really. It's probably my favorite. I think really, I loved writing Viva Pinata. It's, you know, because I, I love that kind of. English garden, Vaughan Williams, Elgar style. I really like that music a lot, you know. And, and I, mean, you know, it's metal. Yeah, it's metal. Yeah, it is metal. But I really tried to interject some of those. I mean, you know, Vaughan Williams, Vaughan Williams five, six, fifth symphony is like one of my all-time greatest things. I love that symphony. Elgar, Cacano, Nocturne, uh, and the variations. Cello concerto. I mean, you know, I love all that music and the like ascending. I mean, all those things are great, you know. And like, I just tried, in my own little way, to try and capture some of their magic. I'm sorry, I can't do it because they're they're amazing man. Right? I'm not that good. But like, I tried my best, you know. And like. I loved writing that music so much, and especially the second game in particular, because like I got to write the ice part and the desert part, and I loved writing the ice tunes and adding a bit more, because I think I really poured my heart into the second game even more than the first. Well, the soundtrack
1: that I have, it feels like I can't distinguish between the, the first and yeah, second. Yeah, because yeah. I
5: put that together, because the soundtrack came out a couple of years after. There's a right it must about a Microsoft track that they put that soundtrack out, and I kept saying to them, look, this could be the first... Get video game soundtrack that can be regarded as semi-classical music, you know. Sure. And that classic, you know, that Classic of M thing I keep talking about—the UK chart they do every year, the Hall of Fame. Do you know about that? Yeah, 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 I've seen you. You tweet about that occasionally. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I got voted into that. It's bizarre. They do it every year, and the people vote for the top 300 composers, and I got. Voted in with Viva Piñata 170, whatever it was, that first year, and then the next year got voted in Kings and Amalur, Viva Pignata and, and This year, who knows? But I said to them, you know, and like, and they, they were, that, that station were playing Viva Piñata music. And I said, you know, there's an example you could have that could be something that was worth talking about at the time when the game came out. That you know, I'm not saying I'm a great classical composer, but it could easily sit on a station like that and not be alien yeah, to the rest I of mean, the music it's got that element to it that kind of light classical
0: actually know. I mean yeah and I think it would be probably a little bit more appealing particularly to young people I mean that's the last thing I, I just kind of want to ask you I think you are known for scoring a series that have this general audience appeal and that uh, a lot of the player base are um, will be children do you you ever kind of think about that when you're writing the music as far as what's something that would be accessible to everyone because I think that's maybe my favourite thing about your music is that it's really accessible and it's very has a lot of melodic clarity and I think that's something that I
5: don't know I remember really responding to as a kid I think sometimes when I write melodies I try to not overcomplicate it so I may write something more complicated and I might thin it out because I always remember my harmony teacher, even though I know I failed it three times out of four. Um, <laughs> he used to also say to me, you know, ne- nearest available note, nearest available note, next available note, nearest nearest, and I like to write so it wasn't going like this. And it's a bit more like that. It it yeah, yeah, a bit closer. So especially when you're writing chords, so you, you use a lot of inversion, So you know, you're not kind of going like this. You're going a bit more inversion like that. Or that so it's all in the same area. And so I find that interesting. And I like, I, I like to, And the melodies, I do the same thing. I try to thin it out a little bit. Like sometimes you get, you get a nice jump, you know. But often it's very linked together not not too far apart and I'll simplify
0: we, it we, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording but uh, that melody now i kicking myself I can't remember the name of the track but yeah is that yeah. Tranquil no, no, that's. You um, got
5: named later. I think it might be Oven Fresh Day. Oven Fresh yeah. Day. Right, Ovenfresh yes, Ovenfresh.
0: I, I love that. I mean, that's one of my favorite video game melodies. I think about it all the time. I remember when I first listened to it. I would play it all the time on the piano. Right. Um, and it's just it's one of those really
5: infallible melodies. It, it sounds like '90s film score. Right. It. Well, it, I mean, I, I tell you, I, I wrote that for Dream. Right. That was that was Dream's main theme. If you'll find it on YouTube somewhere, the, the, the MIDI version of it. If you look for it, um, and then. Um, because I had written the theme for dream and Tim's time. I kept saying, "More drums, more drums, more drums." So the so the Dream version has got drums in it, right? It's <laughs> but that is the melody. And I wrote the melody. I wrote it in the shower. I remember. I remember. I remember this. thing that that moment I was in the shower and I got da 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 because it was it was missing, missing the third da 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 The third doesn't come until that to that point. In the so I kept it as a like, you know, second, fifth, you know, you know like that, and right. like a false three, am like um, I, I got that first bit in the shower, and that kicked me off. And that's what yeah. got the melody going, um, but it was definitely, definitely was that easy for my wedding, of course, and like I can say. Um, I mean,
0: it's, it really is perfect not to kind of like overly obsess, but I mean, I, I love melodies that can kind of boot do that. Where sort of in the opening phrase, it does something maybe a little bit unexpected, but the overall construction of how it resolves and everything just feels so Logical. satisfying. Particularly the ya da da da. Yeah. It really right. It goes where you want it to go, and you're able to use some of those, you know, borrowed chords that w- we've heard sometimes in yeah, the banjo kazooies. But it's like this, just really elegant package. I don't know. That's that's a piece that, to me, I always have to play every once in a while. Right.
5: Think about that. I think you know. I always think to myself that when you're the person that hasn't written the tune, it always seems like a really amazing mathematical thing that you've done. <laughs> I disagree, right. But it was just me just kind of going, ah, that sounds all right. And like when I think about Joe Williams and go, God, how did you do that Harry Potter theme tune? I bet it just kind of went. It's a bit like, uh, uh, what's the uh, Home Alone, isn't it? He's got, you yeah. know, you probably went. Ah, oh, probably got something like that's probably all just right. Just farted yeah. it out. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. But to him, it's no, like, yeah. Sure. We all go, oh my god, yeah, it's I mean, the best. It's it's ever his ever. level of brilliance, yeah. Can just yeah, yeah I think that, that yeah. I think sometimes when you're, when you're the writer, you just do what sort of feels right at the time, and it's and not. Sometimes the, the easiest ideas can be the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah like know. Know. I'm, off Banjo of Kazooie, I remember put the CD on, and that, there's, there's that Nabnoots tune, that I remember right at the end of the game, said I want a tune for the squirrel, and I wrote it in like two minutes flat. It was a you know that was it you know and oh yeah everyone went mad about it oh this is amazing you know some of the things you don't give a shit about yeah everyone's oh that's the best thing you've ever written I'm gone oh god I didn't try very hard so you know so you never know how it's going to turn out yeah that's
1: so true well thanks so much Grant for talking to us this has been such a blast thanks for talking to me I'm very kind to be to be asked
5: very honoured to be asked sorry yeah
1: yes have a have a wonderful and safe
5: flight back to LA and thanks for talking to me gentlemen.
1: Well, that was fun. Uh, let's play some more music from Banjo-Tooie to wrap up this wonderful episode. I'm having a great time. Are you guys having fun?
3: Yeah, this is good. My hand's getting tired, but I'm propping it up with my knees, so we should be okay. Uh, no, nah, nah, I'm good. Okay. He, he
1: actually he likes
3: holding it. Okay. I can tell. It's, it, it gives you something to do. Yeah. It makes me feel important, yeah, yeah, so I'm good.
1: Well, now we're going to play maybe my favorite track from Banjo-Tooie. This is a really beautiful piece called Atlantis. Here we go. You guys are listening to Atlantis. This is such a beautiful track. This one, probably out of anything on these first two games, really reminds me of his work on Viva Piñata. Some of the, agree, yeah. the borrowed chords that he uses in this, he uses in Viva Piñata. Very beautiful, well, imaginative.
0: I think what I love so much about Viva Piñata is you're able to get some of um, his stylistic traits, but in a way that a package that feels a little bit more earnest, less tongue-in-cheek, a little bit more like subtle and, and sweet. That's um, what this track feels like I to me. I think that's probably why it reminds you But I mean He just has a great sense Of melody and harmony It's very simple It's very pure But it also Is kind of Specific to his era I mean we talked about Danny Elfman As an influence But I mean Not just him You know A lot of Rock music Classical music Film music That's kind of his His harmonic uh, world and he's
2: able to kind of write very swiftly within those constraints. And you kind of mentioned that this song isn't trying to be as goofy as the other ones. It does have a, a sincerity to it. Yeah. And I think that um, the placement makes that really interesting because in this particular level you're you're in Jolly Rogers Lagoon. It's this com- it's this goofball pirate town, right? Yeah, that song is completely tongue in cheek. It completely is. And then you jump into this innocent-looking lake, and underneath you find this world underwater and caves and strange glowing artifacts. And this music starts playing, and it really catches you off guard. Yeah.
3: Yeah, banjo Tooie, like point. its biggest thing, I think, was trying to impress you with scale. Like, it's like Banjo-Kazooie was this big, well, this mm-hmm. game is, you know, five times bigger. And that was yeah. like, it's a big thing. And so this, this music was kind of like, it almost feels like it's not, you know, it's not all fun and games anymore. We're actually creating a beautiful world here. And that Absolutely. seems to be what they're trying to get across.
1: Well, now let's move on to, is this Jinjo Village? Jinjo Village, yes. Yeah, beautiful Village. tracks. Let's take a listen to Jinjo Village from banjo Tooie, composed by Grant Kirkhope. Such a wonderful track! You guys are listening to Jinjo Village from Banjo Tooie. This one, I've, I've always loved the melody for this one, but it kind of reminds me of a western. It feels yeah. like I'm riding a horse for some reason. When I'm yeah, listening i never to this. heard
3: that before, but I think you're right that the melody and, and how it you know, like if it is played at a different pace with different instruments, it could totally be a western. And it's played kind of with those more. So, sweet- what
1: exactly is Jinjo Village in the game? Like, so what kind of Jinjo- area is it?
3: Jinjo Village is one of the first like overworld areas you go to, and it's kind of uh, I was talking about how kind of it's introducing you to a bigger world. That's kind of what it's trying to do. Is like It almost feels like you're in an RPG now and this is the quiet town that you're starting in before you start your adventure. And so it's yeah. creating that very um, genuinely sweet, like calm village that then something horrible happens to it sure. and you have to save it. So that's kind of the vibe they were going for awesome. with it. And I think you knocked it out of the park.
1: Now, one of you suggested this next track,
3: Isle O'Hags? Isle O'Hags. Yeah, that's that's the Grunty, uh, Grunty's layer of this game. So very it's just cool. the overworld. And so it's um it's continuing the witch theme. Well let's take a listen to Isle O'Hags from Banjo Tooie. Sounds good to me. <laughs>
1: You guys are listening to Isle O Hags from Banjo Tui composed by Grant Kirkhope. Brian, I'm going to let you take the reins on this track.
3: Sure. Um
2: Actually, Stephen, why don't you go ahead, because I've been talking way more than you. Actually, yeah, Will, why don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> not only is your arm tired, but your voice is tired. Yeah. Okay, so this is this is Grunty's Lair 2.0. It serves the same sure. purpose, which is the slow, bomb, blah, 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 song. So that's every don't song. Don't be
1: distracted by that guitar that you're hearing right now, <laughs> Stephen. <clears throat> uh,
2: no, I'm laser-focused on this song, uh, because it's also one of those songs that is going to be stuck in your head forever as you wander the overworld, so it has to be something with a perfect loop, that you're never going to get tired of. And I think he just about succeeded with that. I think so,
1: too.
3: Yeah, it's one of those songs that I always assume is longer than it actually is. And then it's like, oh, no, it's only like a minute and a half or something. Yeah, that's
1: one of the great effects of video game music is because you're going to be in an area for longer than a minute and a half. Like, how long do you think you'll be here? How how many times do you think you'll hear that loop?
3: Um, Probably hundreds because you're going back to this between literally every level and it's a much bigger overworld. You're
2: solving puzzles, you're exploring things, and it's going to play over and over again.
1: It's important that it's not annoying. To, yeah, you know? exactly. Actually, you know what? I think that he actually had a really interesting balancing act with these two games because this kind of music could be very annoying.
3: Exceedingly, um, yeah.
1: And I think the, the somehow the way that he was able to do it and make it um, tongue-in-cheek, I don't know, he he able he was able to make it funny and fun, but it wasn't annoying. And it is something that it's you could listen to it in the background and it would actually make you feel more comfortable in this world to spend yeah. a lot of time in this world
3: yeah i think i mean it goes back to a simple thing that everyone's gonna say but it's like it's just the quality of the melodies he wrote and that they are good in and of the, themselves so you don't mind hearing it repeatedly it's an earworm instead of just for a sure problem
1: well guys it is time to move on to the last track of the day all right we are gonna we go. listen to witchy world not witchy woman witchy <laughs> world from Banjo Two Banjo Tui, this is the last track of the day. Enjoy. That yeah, was so fun! Thanks, guys, for joining us for this kind of crazy live episode at Magfest. I I still can't believe this is actually
0: happening. I <laughs> actually I only want to record episodes like this from now on. This is really fun. Just Low go pressure. to a local
3: shopping mall or something and find was the a hoot way to sit in. Yeah, it was it was really really
1: weird, but really really fun. And thanks, Kelly Brothers, for yeah. joining us. Yeah. Well,
3: I hope that we'll have an opportunity
0: at some other point in the future to do a more serious episode in person with you guys because yeah, totally. this is so much fun.
3: I'm up for it. Yeah, one where we can hear the music. But I mean, like we were talking about between the breaks of all the episodes for this to happen on, where we can't really hear very well, banjo yeah. kazooie is amazing because you can hear two notes and just sing the whole it, thing. Guys, and know it was the so song. funny.
1: Like Will and myself couldn't really hear anything, but we'd be like, "Okay, Jinjo Village," and then Brian would just start singing.
0: Okay, I would just sing the melody, it. and it's <laughs> like, "All right, we got it." It was well, so cool. The, the other cool thing is, I think Grant would be okay with this. You know, yeah. the banjo kazooie games are so much fun, yeah, and they're really kind of uh, they're quirky. So they're,
1: it should be a quirky episode.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's yeah. really fitting. And I mean, I'm at the time of recording, we haven't um, seen his panel or really yeah. talked to him yet. But I'm excited for all of that stuff. And I'm excited to keep hanging out with you guys and Absolutely. do more stuff this at MagFest. Awesome. We're having a great time. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, uh, MagFest will have been over. But I still hope that some of you that are here um, are going to come say hi to us because this
1: is a really fun experience. Absolutely. So, last order of business, I forgot to pick out a playout track. So, oh gosh. Brian and Steven, what's another track from Banjatui that we haven't played that you think might work as a playout track?
2: Well, you could always it, it, may, it might be too long, but you could try the credits. And if you didn't want to do that, you could always do the the um uh Jiggy, Jiggy Palace theme which okay. is Okay. We're grand. going
0: with Jiggy Palace, but you guys have to sing us. Let's play us out. What what what, what let's let's do the the up. I don't up. for that one either. My name is Will Brueggemann. My name is Carl Brueggemann.
3: My name is Brian Kelly, and and
2: I'm I'm Stephen Kelly. And you can't remember the you can't remember the tune of that song? No, I had someone had to give any
3: song, any banjo song. Just start singing a banjo song. Okay. <laughs> Have a great week, dip, <laughs>